Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. And there's nothing, nothing that's more exciting than to go out there and, you know, have a guy or a gal with their, their first dog and that dog goes out point and their smile is from ear to ear and they are hooked. It's over. <laughs> Next thing is we're buying shotguns. <laughs> oh, we got a truck. We're going to Alaska for ptarmigan. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Here with me, as always, is Joe. Joe, how's it going today? Doing good. Yeah. It's it's definitely a Monday, though. <laughs> it is. It's trying to keep our heads above water, man. Yeah, I guess when people are going to be listening to this, it's going to be a Tuesday, but... Yeah, well, you know, they're late to the party, as always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... <laughs> Go ahead and jump on into it. Who do we have this week? What are we talking about? So we got Mark and Martha. Um, I'm not even going to pronounce Martha's last name because you finally Imperato. got it. Imperato, you're on it now. See, I'm on it now. Uh, and they're they're from a Webfoot Outdoors, and so you you might uh, that name might sound familiar because you you had them on uh, during the uh, training day or training camp roundtable. Yes, and got a lot of good feedback. They've made a lot of people think, you know, it's a little bit of a different uh, system and method that than a lot of NAVDA folk probably use and utilize and haven't even seen. Uh, but it, seeing their session and talking to them, it's kind of opened my eyes and, and I've taken, you know, I've, I, I told them I've kind of nitpicked what I've taken from their method and kind of thrown it in my everyday life. 
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I like doing about this podcast is you hear there's um I've always hated that the saying two ways, more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> I actually now I'm gonna Google where did that come from? But there really is that when it comes to training your dog. And I know, you know, there are some things that I know I, hold on. I know this is gonna be very profound and deep. There's more than one way to train a dog. Oh, there you go. Hey, maybe, maybe <laughs> <That's> we can <laughs> trademark. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, I there are some things um, that can cause probably a little bit more um, hubbub, or you know, or a little bit more uh, crazy out there. Um, mm-hmm. One thing comes to mind. Um, it involves a barrel. <laughs> well, I was about to say, you know, let's not go crazy because, you know, Mark and Bartha's system and method, it's not, it's not out there. It's been around exactly. yeah. forever. I mean, it's essentially the Huntsmith method and mm-hmm. uh, they just kind of put their own flair on it. And uh, they even say it at the end, you know, that, that they learned this from the Smith. So it's a tried and true process. Uh, there are some elements that have kind of gotten, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, uh, a bad rap over, over mm-hmm. the past few recent history uh everything from chain gangs and and check cords and we you know we touch on that we don't gloss over that so uh hopefully a lot of people learn from this episode there's a lot to pick up from these guys and uh you know it may not be your cup of tea but again focus on the why don't focus on the how if it's not your cup of tea it doesn't work for you and your dog then don't use it but you know it's always like you just said it's always good to hear other methods and and how other people do it so that you can kind of solidify why you do it your way yeah and just from an outsider they're a great example of why this community is so great because you know you touched on it they kind of came and 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 gave their time during the the uh the training camp they came on the podcast and now they're coming back again on this podcast um mm-hmm. just to give information so um we need more of that around this community too of, of people who are who are just you know full of of good ideas and 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 willing to share them you know yeah absolutely just selfless with their time and, and exactly. helping other people so so yeah, you know, we won't we won't church them up uh anymore. Just listen to the episode. I think it's a good one and really informative and we're definitely going to have them back on later on down the road. But um you got a review for everybody real quick, Joey? I do. Uh, now, uh we're just doing it by funny uh profile <laughs> names. <laughs> At least this week, just because yeah. you don't have a, a, an original profile name doesn't mean you won't get picked, right? <laughs> no, but it helps. It helps. <laughs> there you go. Or I mean, man, if you put one that I can actually definitely uh pronounced that's great too but <laughs> so what's I mean, this I, one <laughs> so this is either coach mackenstash or coach mackenstack dude that's either way i'm digging it so you got I mean, you got the mackenstash that's you know that's creative right there just stashing it up every guy body guys are, you know going for a good mustache but yeah, yeah coach mackenstack tell me that wouldn't pump you up if you're in the weight room and a football player like coach stack i mean that was that your <laughs> nickname in, in high school nick mackenstack uh Sure. Yeah. Beef Mac- taking it over there. Yeah. Yeah. Macking, <laughs> macking it with the ladies and stacking weights. <laughs> Mac and stack. All right. I think we've spent enough time on the name. What did he actually have to say? <laughs> uh, so this was actually in reference uh, to uh, the Carter's podcast. So he said rapidly, rapidly becoming one of my favorite bird dog podcasts. Hopefully uh, this was back in February. Hopefully it's your favorite uh, now. podcast now. We've Coach. Earned that. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or although it was, and then we, uh, you know, messed up his last name and now, <laughs> now it's not. Uh, but he says, just finished listening to the second half of the podcast with the Carters. I will be picking up a pup in two weeks. So the timing of this show was excellent. Thanks, George. Awesome. Hey, I, oh, oh, thanks, George. 
George. Or thanks. I, maybe does he think one of our names is George or is it or no, maybe he's he saying is, is thanks George. He's George oh. Mackenstack. Or George Mackenstash. <laughs> so George, <laughs> ma- make sure you uh uh write to us um and uh you know let us know what one what do you coach? I'm curious about that. And uh, let us know how that pup is. Um, you know, you you picked it up. Uh, looks like end of February. We'd love to know. Get an update on that. Mm-hmm. No, that's I appreciate it. Also, get us get you get you a sticker by hitting us up and l- answering Joe's you know question about what you coach. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, yeah, that's that was a, a fun episode with the Carters, and that was on the uh, what we were kind of calling the Puppy Series. It got a lot of good feedback from everybody in there. You know, I've had a few people ask me what other series I have planned, and uh, I can let you know that we have a series coming very soon. It's going to be kind of a veterinary series and, and issues in the field and, and stuff like that. We have one episode in the bank and I'm hoping to get a, another couple in the bank this week and start releasing that a few weeks down the road. But yeah, it's uh, you know, it, the Carter's wealth of knowledge and uh, just doing that little puppy series kind of set us up to where we're planning even more series down the road. So stick around and uh, be sure to check that out. Yeah, if you haven't listened to it, go back. It's around February. Take <laughs> yep. listen to it. Yep. So, anything else? What are we missing? Well, I heard you had a really good tip of the week this week. <laughs> Who'd you hear that from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, tip of the week. So, guys, seriously, like, uh, you know, I, I need tip of the week from the listeners. Uh, you know, I keep throwing some BS out that way for, from from my end. Uh, some people say they actually like it, but. Uh, Tip of the week, um, I'll go with one over the weekend that I was talking to some guy. You know, we were out there. We had another little small uh, training clinic thing with BHA down in North Mm -hmm. Carolina. And uh, one of the guys looked at me and said, you know, this is pretty invaluable when I'm working my dog and I'm getting immediate feedback from other people watching or trainers or or what have you. And he goes, but, you know, how how do I incorporate this while I'm training every day with with my dog. And I'm like, man, just videotape it, videotape it, send it some training partners, look at it yourself. You know, it's, it's amazing what you pick up by watching yourself with your own dog and your, the timing of your corrections or lack thereof, or just some repetitive commands or, or whatever, whatever quirk you have, we all have them and putting it on video, you can watch back on it, whether you share it with anybody or not, it can feel awkward setting it up, but you will notice by being able to step back and watch yourself train your dog that you already have some of the knowledge of some of the mistakes that you're making and we all make it. So it's just like by you watching back your own training session, you can correct it. And, and I mean, think of it this way, pro athletes do it all the time. They watch film on themselves and Mm -hmm. and their opponents all the time. So, you know, apply that to dog training if you want to go, go to that level, but you don't have to have a training partner or a pro trainer right there watching you all the time, record it, watch it back. And you'll, you'll realize how quick you pick up on your mistakes on your own without, without even feedback from other people right that was a great tip man there you go bs'd it too <laughs> hey I, 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 I like that a lot especially if you get like a, a little you know circle of buddies that you know it, it helps to you know you may be stuck on one thing and you just send that video over 
Mm-hmm. Um, Helps provide you know context, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a lot easier to show somebody a video than uh, verbally describe it because when you're when you're in the weeds, you maybe sometimes don't see how a dog reacts totally. a certain way to where you back up a thousand foot view or take time off, kind of clear your head, then go back and watch it later. You, you can really open up uh, and see what's actually going on and how the dog's reacting to you and and your uh, y- your commands and cues and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll get, uh, we'll get on to the episode. There's a lot of good information in it. So make sure you, uh, support our sponsors again, support the people who support us, you know who they are and go ahead, give us a like on Facebook. Instagram goes a long way when you spread the word about the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it for, for you guys tuning in and listening and we'll check back next week. See ya. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another ugly dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, everybody. We are joined this week with Mark Gowron and Martha Ann Imperato. Imperato. There we go. I said it right this time. Uh, they're, they're with Webfoot Outdoors up in New York, and uh, we kind of met through the GDIY training camp. And uh, I, I said when we did the roundtable a few weeks ago that I wanted to get these guys back on and cover more specifically the details in their own system and some of the benefits that we learned at the training camp. But uh, first, guys, how you doing? Well, We're doing good. We're doing, doing good. Tonight, the weather's finally broke. 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky today. We're loving life. Perfect training weather, and then before you know it, it's going to be 100 degrees outside, and you're going to be wishing it was winter already. Oh, no, no. It doesn't get 100 here. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you're we're lucky. For a reason. It, it's, it's already supposed to get 90 degrees this weekend oh, for us down here. Really. So it, I, I'm just a couple weeks away from 
getting up at 4 a.m. just to run dogs and then go back inside. So, but uh, yeah, so I talked to you guys. I wanted to have you guys back on because, you know, it, we, you really kind of opened up a lot of eyes from the training camp that you guys uh, generously came down and, and uh, really donated your time to at the training camp. Uh, you know, with me in particular, I'm just going to, I'm not going to put words in other people's mouths, but you opened my eyes to a lot of things that I have not really had the uh, privilege of seeing in person i've read and I, i've listened to the podcast but you guys kind of put it in front of me as far as uh different things with the chain gang the woe post and some check cord work out in the field that that it really kind of all boiled down to uh getting the dog used to neck pressure and relenting to neck pressure and i thought that it would be a really good episode to have you guys on and talk about the importance of neck pressure and what that really means for these dogs and how to use that within your training program well, it, you know, first of all, we we were, went down to the training camp, and uh, we really didn't know what we what to expect, and we were really really happy on how that whole thing came about. I thought that came off just spot on. Um, we had three different stations there, and it was kind of interesting how our station really interacted specifically with the chain gang on the other two set stations and how the dogs were acting in those two stations, reacting to whatever they were doing, pressure on the force fetch, and maybe some of the obedience training over there, what Grayson was doing. But we saw all that on the chain gang, what they were experiencing on their station, we already had seen on the chain gang and, and it was kind of interesting to hear their stories and what they experienced with certain dogs. And we could pick them out based on what we saw those dogs reacting to the neck pressure, as you call it on the chain gang. Yeah. So that, that really helped us out as far as interacting with how they were doing things, how Grayson and how um, Rusty Guns Kennels did, did those things. Scott, um, because we we have never met those people, you know? right? I <laughs> only came down there. And, Here we are. Here's our yeah. gangs, and they're all looking at us like, "Oh my god, what are they going to do?" Yep. You know? And um, but it all worked out really, really well. So we were really happy to be there. It was a nice twelve hour drive um, going down the, the east coast. I haven't been down towards Fort Bragg in a long time, yep. and uh, really, really, really enjoyed that. So. Well, and I, and I think that was really, you know, with this being the first GDIY training camp, and like you said, the trainers didn't, I know Grayson and Scott knew each other. It, it was, nobody really knew what to expect. And so when you guys said that you're good to come down and do your, your uh, lesson and your station, I was kind of excited to see your station because I haven't seen it. And, you know, I, everybody that listens to this podcast, they kind of know that I've kind of learned along the typical, I guess you could say NAVDA path. And with the NAVDA chapters and everything that I've been around, I haven't seen a lot of the chain gangs. I haven't seen a lot of the woe posts, you know, they're there. There's a few people that, that do that. And that, you know, the, the Huntsmith method is probably more what people are used to hearing uh, the name of it. But when I actually got to see you guys, do it. The chain gang is, it really kind of opened my eyes to some of the benefits that, that it brought as far as 
while you're not even technically training your dog, you can still be making strides and benefits with your dog with something as simple as a chain gang. And so first I, w- I want you to, you guys to describe your, your kind of overall method or your system, you know, kind of just give the bullet uh, points and then let's back up and start breaking out what, why we start with the chain gang and, and move from there. Well, I guess um, the basis of the, the program comes from three actions. It comes from coming to us, coming with us and standing or sitting still. And I think the amazing part about the program is it really is that simple. Um, for example, the coming to us is nothing more than the retrieve. And people have a hard time believing that um, a lot of the faults in their retrieve is basically that the dog just doesn't really come to them. The recall is suffering. Once we get a recall under control, we can get a lot of the retrieving under control. Uh, A dog not being able to stand or sit still, depending on the breed, is uh, what we see in the field. The dog not being able to stand for periods time on point under the high level of distraction of a bird, uh, the gunfire, uh, extra people in the field, another dog in the field. It's all just about standing still. And the um, coming with us is about hunting for us, hunting in front of us and uh, moving with our body language. So mm-hmm. it's all on, on pack mentality, really, uh, through body language and um, uh, working together, I guess, basically. Yeah. And it all starts right there on the chain gang. You know, you, you, kept, you mentioned the chain gang a few times, and, and we came down there to the training camp, not to go back to that too, much, too often, but we came down there to the training camp to do a studyness um, segment, and the first thing we're going to do is put out our chain gang. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, wait a minute. What's this all? <laughs> yeah. Well, what Martha just described, coming to us, coming with us, standing still, there's only three actions. Those are the three fundamentals. If you can find something that doesn't stem off of those three, I'm all over it because I haven't been able to do that. I've been yeah. doing dogs a while. So <clears throat> when you put the dog on the chain gang initially, you know, they, they react. And, and I think you and I had a, on the phone, you know, past couple of, of times over a few, few weeks have been, you know, you were, you saw some of this, you know, dogs turning around to their, to their owner because they're mad at it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, they're pulling on the chain and the, and the chain never, or the, cable, whatever you're using, never, ever, ever gives up. Never. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly consistent. So when the dog pulls against the chain, the dog gets pulled back. It pulls against the chain, gets pulled back, pulls against the chain, gets pulled back. And what you're basically doing is you're wearing the dog out mentally. And you start to watch these dogs' behavior, you know, and, and you're, what you see on that chain gang you will see in the field. It may not be identical, but the dog going crazy can't stand still. You're going to see that on his birds. He can't stand still. He can't. He's going to dance around or go in on his bird, back off his bird, sit down later, whatever. But think back. Always think back to what I saw in the chain gang. You know, the dog that's very vocal. I want to go. I want to go. I'm ordering my my owner handler 
to take me off this ridiculous chain gang and take me to the field and get birds, get birds. I got to get birds. Well, the dogs that we watch that kind of chill out and wait their turn, those are the dogs that work their birds really, really well. So the chain gang is really a, a place for the dog to check in to work and check out of work. And it's also a place for us to observe their, their um, behavior to what we expect on the training segment that we're going to be doing here, you know, between right now and, you know, in the case of today, maybe six hours from now. Yeah. Um, and that, that pulling that Mark was talking about on the chain gang bouncing off that chain, it gives the same amount of pressure back that the dog gave. So yes. if he pulls hard, he gets a hard correction. If he pulls soft, he's getting a softer correction. And a lot of times what happens when we get involved on a leash or a check cord, our consistency of what the dog is giving us is never the same. Um, and then a frustration level comes in. So the dog wears us out versus the dog being wore out. And um, once you get frustrated, a lot of times the dog might not be pulling hard, but you're correcting hard. So yeah. then you're creating a harder point of contact, which will uh, in ultimately be shown either on uh, healing or on uh, the check cord or through the e-collar. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really the, the main takeaway that I, I realize is I go to training days, whether it's a NAVDA training day or just with some buddies on a, on a little side training day that we're just four or five of us. And I typically, we've always kept our dogs in the kennels, right? And so by me watching your station and learning along with everybody else, I kind of realize what you're just saying is the chain automatically immediately gives the response. So you don't have to worry about the consistency. You don't have to worry about you having to pay attention 24 seven and be too slow or even too quick with the pressure. The correction is appropriately timed by the dog's action. And then, like you said, the pressure is matched by the dog. The chain is going to hit it, hit it at the same level as they hit, you know, put on it. And, to me, what are we always talking about when we're talking about eventually e-collars or anything like this is in force fetch. We're trying to get that dog to know what causes pressure and what turns the pressure off, right? And that was the biggest takeaway for me is the dogs kind of learn I'm applying the pressure. Not only am I applying the pressure, I'm applying to what extent the pressure is. And to me, I think that was the biggest takeaway that I left there. And we have now been incorporating chain gangs and stakeouts here at the house within our own training group. Well, that, that's exactly right. And, and you have to remember, it, you know, we talk about the why all the time. The mm -hmm. why, the reason why we use the chain gang is that specific reason right there the dog starts to realize that they're creating the pressure. Mm -hmm. It's not coming from you. It's not coming from an e-collar or a check cord or a command lead or a leash or a prong collar, whatever. It's coming from them. They're right. creating it. And what that does is it starts to develop behavior versus trying to control behavior. See, most people, like when they're on a leash – People are trying to use their brawn, their strength to hold the back that dog. 
well, mm-hmm. <laughs> forget it. You're not going to, I mean, you're just simply not strong. Enough. First of all, a dog's getting stronger and bigger by the second. <laughs> we're not. Yeah. But, you know, uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely not getting stronger and bigger by the second. So the, when we try to control a dog, they're just going to fight that mm-hmm. because they don't want to be controlled. But when we develop behavior, it becomes a learned, willing response. Yeah. Once it's a learned, willing response, now we got a teammate. I ask people all the time, you know, you talk about obedience, 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 obedience. Okay, great. But when the dog knows what it's supposed to do and it does it regardless, is it still obedience or is it a teammate? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, all of us go to work every day and we do what we do because we're that's what we do. We don't do it because somebody's bossing us and forcing us. And if they do do that, we're probably not going to work there very long. Yeah. We're just going to move on, you know, to someplace that's a little bit more conducive to what we do. So it, it's just a matter of, of understanding how the dog receives information and, and, and communicating to the dog in a way that it can understand. Right. Not trying to explain to it in a way that we understand and trying to yeah. force that on the dog. So that's where the chain gang comes in. And it's, it's been an incredibly um, uh, useful tool for us. And as a matter of fact, it's probably – if, if you took it away, if you took all of our tools away, I'll take a little segment on Delmer Smith's book. If you took all of our tools away and told us which one we wanted back first, we definitely would tell you the chain game. No doubt about it. And, and it had a bad rap for a long, long time because yeah. basically people were cruel to animals, you know, back in the day, you know, uh, we were talking about that a few minutes ago where they just leave them on the chain gang, no water, no food. And that was it. It was just a, it was just a tile. Yeah. Well, if you use the chain gang, what we've learned now, if you use the chain gang as a tool, as a training tool, it will save you months, months of training that um, you don't have time for. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, a nine to five kind of guy or gal, you know, you got a job, you got a family, you got this, life goes on, right? You only have so much time to work with your dog and that's what you love to do. Why waste it? But use a tool it's going to be a multiplier for you. Yeah. And that's where the chain gang comes in for us. And yeah. it's also uh, the, the benefit is you can put any age dog on it. You could put a puppy on it and you could put a, an adult dog on it. Um, you might want to think about the positioning of the dog itself. Like if you have a, a dog that's more timid um, or a young puppy, you might put them closer to the stakes themselves and then put the wild man in the center because he's the one who's going to get more of the corrections happening versus the puppy um, being in the center. So you put him next to a stake that is stationary and he doesn't have as much movement going on. Yeah. And so from each other, I was about to say they learn from each other. I want you to elaborate a little bit more on that. When you talked about you put the wild man in the middle and they're going to get more of the correction. You're not talking about correction from us or the handlers. So what do you mean by correction? You're meaning from the other dogs or from the chain or both? Well, that's interesting you said that because uh, really both, but mostly from the chain because the wild man in the middle He's going crazy. He doesn't want to be on there, and he's just bouncing back and forth. Well, the guy next to him is getting bounced back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
<laughs> and, and on and on and on down the chain, but it gets less and less and less as you get towards the ends yep. because of basic physics. But so you put those puppies on the end so they don't get yanked around too much. And that year old wild Indian in there, he's, he's going crazy, you know? So what we've seen on the, on, and just recently, actually, we've seen other dogs turn and, and woof, I call it woofing. They did literally give them a warning and some of them dogs just say, Oh, okay. And lay down. Yeah. I mean, right in the middle of the chain, and, you know, they're going crazy and another dog corrects them and they lay down. And that's where the pack mentality comes in. Right. These dogs are pack, are pack animals, bottom line. So yep. they're learning from each other on the chain versus having a dog in the crate, having no interaction with a dog, another dog. Yeah. And all it's doing is barking and whining and, doing whatever it's doing, trying to get out of that crate or order you to come let it out of that crate. Yeah. And, and that's the difference. And the more tension that the dog has, like um, what we see, the initial dogs will show a lot of resistance. So what do we mean by that? They'll back up against that 18-inch um, um, chain. And when it's taut, it's going to give them more of a bounce, Right. So when they start to give to pressure, they move off of that tight chain and then the bounce, they don't feel the bounce as much to the point where they lay down and there's no bounce at all. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the more they fight, the more they resist, the more the correction happens, whether it's from the dog next to them or from themselves. Yeah. And then you'll see them slowly learn to give to the neck pressure they'll move to the center of the chain versus backing off of it or turning their back and you'll see them face the action of what's going on so if a a puppy's not sure of gunfire and he sees all the other dogs get excited when that gun goes off he's like wow that must be really cool versus the dogs running away or being able to hide there's there's nowhere to go so they he reacts the way the pack reacts yeah to excitement like, yeah makes a lot of sense they're feeding off the other dog's energy and and so that you know we we've already been talking for you know 15 minutes or whatever it is and we just covered a lot of why's you, you should do this and an, another little just small one for the devil's advocate out there that's sitting here saying like well I don't need to put my dog on a chain gang just a side benefit to that we discovered just the few times that we've been incorporating this in our training days is it really it just speeds the training day up Right. So it just makes the training outing more efficient when you're working with other people. You have the dogs out there, they're paying attention, they're focused. And like you said, they're ready to go when you go get there. You're not waiting on everybody to go put their dogs up in a kennel, get somebody else to get their dogs out of their kennel and put a collar on. It just really speeds the day up. So that's kind of a side benefit that's not necessarily training specific, but it does help help to get day go smoother. But so we just touched on the why. I want to talk more in the how. You know, let's break down the, your typical chain gang system. You said that we can do it from a puppy or an older dog. You know, how many dogs do you necessarily have or need for a chain gang, quote unquote? Is there a minimum number of dogs or can you do this with just one dog at a time? Do you lose some of the benefits if you have just one dog? Um, I don't think you lose many benefits. 
Um, obviously, if they have other dogs to interact with, that's a socialization situation. You already and you're developing the pack mentality immediately. But if you only have one dog, I mean, you could literally take a ratchet strap between two trees and tie a loop in the middle, and you got yourself a chain gang. Yeah. The key is you need a very short chain. You don't want a long chain so the dog can spin or pull or or uh, anything like that. You want an 18 inch chain. Seems to be the magic number that the dog is gonna is gonna get that bounce out of that out of that strap, chain, cable, whatever you're using. And and once you know. We've only talked about hooking them to the chain so far, and there's a lot more to this. Once the dog kind of accepts that pressure, kind of gives into that pressure, now we can start training the dog and work with them on the line. So if we got a pointing dog, for example, we walk up to that dog and we stand and have that dog on our left side. What we're doing with our body spatial pressure is we're going to guide that dog around to our left side. So we're imprinting that that dog will stand by our left side. And that is the only way it comes off the chain. So when it's standing and standing still, not whining, crying, jumping on me, digging, whatever, it's standing at our side. We simply place the lead on them, whether you're using a command lead or a flat lead or whatever. And you then unhook the chain and you drop that chain right in front of them. That's not a release command. That's not a cue for you to go. So when that dog lunges forward, you got the lead on him, you pull him right back. Mm-hmm. And they stand right there by your side, right on that chain. So you're literally standing on that chain yourself or cable or whatever. And, and the dog comes back to your left side. So the dog starts to learn that there's only one way to get off this chain. And that's to stand by my handler's left side calmly. And my, my, my connection point gets released. And then I can move off the chain with with my handler instead of bolting off the chain. So where did where does that come into play? Well, in your home, I was about to say. And, and are we talking about the home or field? Because it kind of goes into all kinds it's of different scenarios. It's all together. When yeah. you open the door of your home, that dog is not to bolt. That's on a cue for that yes. dog to go bolting out into your front or backyard. Mm-hmm. Same with your car. Yeah. You know, when you open the car door, that's not a cue to, for that dog to jump in the back seat. You don't have no idea what's in the back seat. It could be a birthday cake. Yeah. You know, and we had a, we have one client. It was a prom dress. It was back there. Oh no! The dog destroyed it. You know, so they, you know, those, these are real world things that actually happen. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and and where do they learn it? Right on the chicken. Yep. They learn not to lunge forward just because they've been released. And we talk about planting seeds on this podcast a lot. You know, we talk about, you know, even at the food bowl, teaching them to wait at the food bowl, wait at the thresholds going in and out of the house, wait at the kennel door to be released. It's the same same exact concept. You're just doing it on the chain gang. And that directly le- lends itself to, like you said, vice versa, going in the house as opposed to out. But it also leads itself to what we're doing with these dogs in the field, which is at the end of the day, steadiness, you know, however long you want that dog to be steady, you know, that's kind of every uh, handler and owner's uh, prerogative, but that's ultimately what we're asking for is cooperate with us in the field until I'm good to release you. A lot of people release their dog or handle a dog differently in the field. Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody likes to tap the dog on on the head to release the dog for either the retrieve or to go out and hunt or just to release the dog, period. 
Where do you teach that? Well, we teach it on the chain gang. If I'm standing next to the dog, the dog's on my left side, he's nice and calm, I release the chain, drop it to the ground, so he hears that click, snap, drop, the whole bit. And then I double tap him on the head or tap him on the head or whatever we do, and that's his cue to move. Yeah. We're already imprinting that release. You don't get released unless you get whatever it is you're doing. In our case, we give them a little pop forward with the leaf. A lot of people like to tap the dog. Um, well, so Martha, Martha, this is Mar- the place to train. Mar- Martha showed, you know, she goes to the extent of stepping off with either foot. The, if you step off with the left foot, that means the dog is to follow. If you step off with the right foot, that's the, the dog is to stay there. Can you talk to that and the importance of how you put the dog on and off and how that, you know, where that really falls into play and why it's so beneficial to have the different foot meaning something completely different in the field with the dog? Um, a lot of times I'll use that. Um, again, I started on the chain gang. Uh, I get to the point where I can release the chain from my dog and I can literally walk away with my dog still standing in the same exact position on the chain gang as I remove the chain. I can go and walk around my yard or go get something out of the equipment shed and I come back and my dog is still there because I did not cue them to move. So our whole system is based on cues. Um, initially it's nonverbal cues. So part of my nonverbal cue would be, um, my leg that is closest to the dog will be paired up with a cue that comes from either initially the check cord, then the command lead, then the e-collar. So when I move that one leg forward closest to the dog, that's when my dog should stay or should come with me. When I do not cue my dog, I'll leave with the leg that's not next to them and I can move forward. When I'm in the field, if my dog is on point and I approach my dog, until that dog is cued, again, either verbally or through the e-collar or through a, um, a, a body cue, it's not to move, whether I flush a bird, whether I, you know, it's backing another dog, whatever it may be, or go for a retrieve, it does not move. Yeah. And all that stems from the chain gang. We haven't even left the chain gang. Yet. No, no. And that, and that's why I wanted to get you guys on to start talking about this because there's so much that we're talking about that the chain gang overlays and plants the seeds. And, and that's what, I mean, it's, if anything, you know, this whole method may not be, you know, any particular person's cup of tea all the way through, but there are benefits. And that's what I told you guys is just something as simple as instead of me at a training day, having my dogs in the kennel, like I could have them on a chain gang and they're getting some kind of benefit out of it as opposed to just laying in a kennel all, all day. Right. You know, it just, if there's a benefit, even if it's just a small likelihood that my dogs pick up on something while I'm not specifically training them, why not take it? And so I do want to get your take on real, like you just said, Mark, we haven't left the chain gang and I want to leave the chain gang here in a second, but before we do, I want, I want y'all to real quick, talk about some of the uh, issues or actions that you see a lot from people that they should avoid with the chain gang. Uh, For instance, you you can tell me if this is really a problem. Uh, 
just starting this out is you you have multiple dogs on the chain gang and there's one dog that you know might have a little bit of aggressive tendencies and the person healing that dog up walks by every single dog on that chain gang and to, to me that's like inviting an issue with dogs uh I what do you see that a lot i think it's a training tool okay okay if i'm gonna if i'm gonna fix aggression in the field yeah i'm gonna fix it on the chain gang okay and in possession of uh, like of a duck yeah. or a bird um you know you, you should see some of the looks of some of our clients when we have an aggressive little aggressive problem and we'll say okay put him right next to that dog Tie him right next to that. And they're like, what? I, I don't. I don't believe in managing an aggression issue. Okay, no, we believe in fixing it. I believe in fixing it and <clears throat> fixing it before it gets too far. And if I can see it on the chain gang, um, I'm gonna. The dog is contained. It has um, 18 inches to move. If I have to, I can put the command lead on it, and I can control it even more, but that dog is going to learn to respect me before it gets off the chain gang. And it's going to learn to, um, stay within its own space. Yeah. So, um, like I have a dog here now that's been basically, I mean, is it a hundred percent? No, he's been with me for a month. And when I first dealt with him, um, he was going to eat me. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I use that chain gang as a, a, a very important tool in curbing that aggression. And it was fear-based, um, especially with COVID and the socialization that people and dogs have at this point, um, we're going to see more of it. And now I can walk up to that chain gang and that dog has a sleepy eye and he stands still for me and he walks off with me and he's working extremely well for me because I set the standard and no one got hurt. Um, There was was no unnecessary force and it was just – these, these are the new rules. Yeah, It's important to note that the, the connection points on the chain gang are six feet apart. That's what I was about to get to. How do we know and, we have the right the, distance apart? And the, and the chains are, the connection chains from the, from the cable or chain to the actual dog's collar is 18 inches. There's no way these dogs can get at each other. Okay. And if they can, then you need to move the dogs or, or whatever you got to do. But there's a rare situation where the dog can actually get at some of the smaller dogs. They might be able to because they're just, you know, whatever. But because uh, the 18 inch chain is a lot closer to the ground. Than, yeah. You know, versus a dog like a short arrow or a pointer. But they can't get at each other. Sometimes they'll turn their butt to them. Um, sometimes, you know, and, and they can get at that a little bit. But face to face, no way. Okay. Um, so that teaches them that you can bark and scratch and carry on all you want, but that chain's not going to let you do that. It's just not going to let any kind of connection. So then that's where the leadership comes in. We step in, in the middle of that. Again, we're perfectly safe because they can't really get at us, but they're close enough where they don't know that. Yeah. And we can take care of that situation and, and step in. Yeah. 
with that pack leader mentality and the dogs learn to respect that and the attitude changes and I'm talking instantly. It's not a matter of weeks, months, or days even. It's a matter of a couple of hours and this is done. Yeah. And the dogs start to respect what's going on. They work they start to work with each other. And now we can start to train dogs. Now we can start getting off the chain gang and actually start getting something done. So let's do that. Let's get off the chain gang and let's get something done. What are we going to first? <laughs> What's the next step? Is that what you're yes, asking? Yes. You know, with, with y'all's method, where are we going to first? What the are we working on first? Would, would be check point. Okay. Um, we, we walk up to the dog. The dog should, and in this case, most dogs we're talking about probably right now are, are pointers. And it's important to point out the only difference between a pointer and a flusher is the flusher sits, pointer stands. That's it. There is no difference. So, um, we walk up to the dog, flusher would sit, pointer would stand. They stand uh, uh, calmly by our left side, in, in our case. Some people might want them on their right. That's fine. Yeah. Um, we we put the lead on them, or in this case, we would snap a check cord onto their collar. And we would drop the chain, the connection chain to the cable or the chain gang on the ground. They're not to move. If they do, it gets hooked right back up. We move on to the next dog. Mm. And they look at you like, oh, well, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we'll come back to them maybe last, maybe second, maybe 10, I would, whatever. Um, but anyways, we'll hook, up, hook them up to the chain or hook, unhook them from the chain, hook them to the, to the uh, uh, check cord and cue them off the line. And then we start quartering the dog with the, cha- with the check cord. And what we're doing is that same neck pressure that they received on the chain gang, they're receiving with with the check cord, but we're doing it in a, like a pop. So if the dog casts off to our left, we make a slight right turn and we check the dog. What that does is the dog will get a check on their far left side because of their collar. And they'll look up and recognize that, the handler is moving off to the right and cut across their front. Once they cut across their front, you make a, the handler would make a slight left turn and check the dog. So we're developing a point of contact mm-hmm. that the dog clearly can understand that, that that point of contact, when the, he feels that check on the right or left side of his neck, he's to look to the opposite side, which he naturally would, recognize that the handler's moving off in a different direction and come with them. So you're essentially, you're steering the dog with the check cord. You're kind of keeping them between 10 and two and you're just keeping them going left to right, left to right in the field. We're not controlling that. We're cueing it. Okay. It's really important to understand that it's a cue base. We're not yanking the dog from left to right, or we don't want a windshield wiper type of a situation. Because if the dog keeps the check cord taunt, like really tight, the dog's controlling you. But if it's just taunt and it's got some slack to it, you're controlling the dog. Okay. And I, I use control as in a different way. We're not controlling behavior. We're controlling them as far as, okay, we're coming left. Okay, we're coming right. But it's a smooth action. So, 
So, so in other words, you're, you're you're trying to develop a cue, not a command. You're not out there hacking the dogs, you know, exactly. yelling at it to go left and right. And I and I think that's the difference uh, for a lot of people is there is a difference between cue and commands, right? Whether it's it's verbal or or physical, like you said, you're you guys are starting the cues all the way back at the chain gang with stepping off with the correct foot, not getting them off the chain gang until they're they're ready. You know, you're developing these cues. You're not commanding the dog calm down. And then you put them on the check cord. You're not commanding the dog to go left. You're just kind of hitting these little, just small little cues. And that's what you're wanting with the dog. And you're developing that behavior as opposed to commanding the dog. Did I, is that correct? Behavior versus trying to control behavior. Yes. We're talking to the dog. Plus we're using the dog's natural instinct of wanting to be in front of us also and the dog moving with us they move with a pack Mm -hmm. so if we use our body language and they will start chewing off our body language too and then the pops go away they just instinctively want to be in front of us so if i turn to the right the dog will look up and want to be in front of me and go to the right Mm -hmm. so we have to teach it through the cues through the cue on the neck and the cue with our body for the dog to understand it, then the cue on the neck can go away, which would be the cue on the e-collar can go away. Gotcha. Gotcha. If you, do, if you do this right and, and you're cueing the dog lightly, at first it's hard. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The dog is out there, wants to pull, knows there's the birds out there. It'll be a bit of a cluster. <laughs> yeah, and, and not for nothing, um, people aren't used to handling rope. Yeah. yeah. We didn't grow up on a, on a, on a ranch or a farm, like, you know, like back in the day, our fathers or grandfathers, you know, and so rope is kind of a foreign thing as far as really being able to handle it. Yeah. You let that rope on the ground. The only rope you're worried about is from the, from your hand to the, the dog. dog. Other than that, the, that rope will follow you. Just let it drag. Yeah. If you try to coil it up, you don't, you don't have enough hands. So it starts to get a little cumbersome at first. Yeah. It's kind of fun to watch. But if you start doing this right, the dog is going to start to react to your movement and it's going to feel your body spatial pressure that you moved. And the dog is just going to, going to come right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you don't even need a whistle anymore. I mean, the, the whistle is, is not one of these tools where you're just hacking on the dog to call them back and forth, left, right, left, right. You don't, you don't need that. It might, you might need it or could use it as a, a little attention getter later on. Once the dog knows these cues, but really the dog is going off of your body position and it becomes really smooth and comfortable. And that check cord gets looser and looser and looser and the dog is just going. And I, yeah. I think the check cord has gotten such a bad rap because I was, I was about to go there. Not learn the technique. Yeah. What the main thing that people do when they do it on the leash, they pull They try to hold the dog back, which creates more pulling, um, like a sled dog. They're designed to to drive through that pressure. So if the check cord, um, and that's why people want to say cut them up, because the technique that the people are using is improper, which is getting the improper result from the dog. So if the dog's not doing what you need it to do, it's because you're not explaining it the way he needs to 
yep. uh, respond to that. Yeah. And um, it's it's like dogs going in on birds, taking out birds. People, um, a lot of times it's because they have the check cord on the dog. They don't stop the dog on the initial scent of uh, the bird. And then they hold it tight. And then the dog drives into the bird. You created that yeah. through the check cord without the proper technique. Yeah. And what happens is if you're if you find that you're being hard on the check cord, the check cord's always tight. When you go to the e-collar, you're almost always going to be at higher numbers. Yeah. And, and this this is the point that I wanted to drive home because you guys knew where I was going with this because we talked about it at the training camp. Uh you know, we've had it on the podcast and I've kind of adhered to it myself as well. And I told you this is, you know, the way the check cord was explained to me is, you know, after a couple of things like maybe a recall and some heel work or something beyond that, uh, a, tw- a 20 foot check cord is only good for cutting into four or five foot leashes. And they say, do away with that. Don't, don't pull the check cord out because it develops the Velcro dog. The dog is always close to you. And I asked you, what do you think about that? And, and you know, you guys kind of jumped ahead and you already explained that. But what you what let's elaborate more on what you just described. Put it in terms of a dog going, you're stopping the dog on a bird, on the bird scent. You're pulling it tight. What is that? That's pressure. We the whole point of putting pressure on is to take the pressure away to communicate to the dog this is what we want. And so what you're saying, Martha, is that the average person is probably doing this wrong with the check cord is they're keeping the pressure on the dog and you're essentially creating that slingshot with a dog, right? But the, the driving effect that they want to it's a like if you deny them something, they're gonna want it even more. Right. And so it, it's yes, you need to stop that dog, but you need to also have that correct timing and that consistent timing of the pressure off. And what you're saying, Mark, is the same thing with the e-collar. What are we doing with the e-collar? You're applying the pressure until you get the action from the dog that you're wanting, and then the pressure cuts off. I think that's the disconnect with a lot of people on check cords that they don't understand is it's still pressure, but it's not pressure in the sense of e-collars that a lot of people really associate with. And it's just like, for some reason, talking to people, and I was one of them, and I still am in a lot of ways, but like you think it's hard to associate the check cord being the, the equivalency of pressure on the e-collar. Does that make sense? It, 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 it absolutely makes sense because it, I mean, it made sense to, or it was hard for me to understand, I should say, when I first started doing it. But when you, when you think about it, if you give that cue, you know, dogs cast off to the left, you give that cue and the dog looks up and it comes to your right. What difference is that it, it, with, with the e-collar, if you give him a little tap, a little pop, and he feels that pressure. He looks up. Oh, he's 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 over there. She's yeah. over there. I'm just going to come across their front. And, and what people need to understand is we have the ability to yank that dog across our front. No question about it. But the e-collar doesn't have that ability. It has no physical yeah. pull or push. It's simply a stimulation, a cue. And, and yes, you you can shock your dog. We never use that term because we don't do that. Yeah. We, we simply cue them. We're giving them very light stimulation. In most cases, you can't even feel. The dog yeah. reacts to it. 
understands what it means because we've Taught done it. enough of the command lead work. We've done enough of the check cord work. We've done enough of the of the chain gang work where the dog understands the cue. Yes. And the other thing is we never stop dogs on birch with a check cord. That's that goes back to the wool post, which is probably another podcast. Um, we're we're simply getting the dog into the set cone and having them follow us or come with us. Remember, come to us, come with us, stand still. Mm-hmm. And that's really all we're doing. Um, and when we do this check warding, and, our, you know, we have the luxury of having several dogs. If you have a, a couple of dogs, work them together so that they're always being, they have this picture, this sight picture. We're imprinting one dog behind another dog. And then a bird goes up. And, and, and they get the, oh, this is fantastic. And so you're constantly imprinting what you want that picture to look like in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going back to the puppies in the pack mentality, and we saw it at the, at the, uh, uh, the camp, the training camp at Rusty Gun Kennels. We had a little puppy there, and we had three, four dogs in the field check cording in, you know, and then we got him into the scent cone. And when all the dogs stopped, that puppy had no idea what's going on. Yeah. He's looking around. It's like my pack stopped. I got to stop. Yeah. So automatically, this dog is starting to imprint in his mind. If that pack stops, I got to stop. Yeah. So if another dog stops, I need to stop. Because something's going to happen. And now you're starting to develop a backing, you know, a mentality with the dog. Yeah. The dog starts to understand everything that's going on in the field. I mean, this gets crazy because it, you're, you're really doing everything that you need to do from the first day that you start. Yeah. You're, we don't train backing five years in, three years in. We train backing day one in. Um, and we, again, we have the ability to have a few dogs, but, you know, most people are training together, you know, one or two dogs. Um I want to go. I want to go back to the one dog, the person with the one dog. Let's go. Let's rewind and go back in the field to where we're just starting with the check cord. We're we're working casting, okay. and then I want to work. How do we go from casting and how do we transition into a bird contact? Because you just said that we're not stopping the dog with the check cord. What are we looking for as the handler? Like, how do we know that the dog is ready for a bird contact, and how do we handle that from a pointing dog perspective? Uh, you know, how do, how do we start establishing that point without stopping the dog ourselves with the check cord? So uh, initially we get a dog in, they might not have the instinct to point yet. Uh, so typically what we see within, I would say six to nine bird contacts, the dog will start to point. Okay. So initially they we quarter them into the bird so we know definitely where the wind's coming from and um we don't let no matter what we do we never let our dogs get you know probably more than uh no closer than say five feet five to eight feet okay um so that's that's one mistake that people make they keep going closer and closer and closer to the bird until the dog actually visually sees the bird and then is on top of the bird. They're at the dinner table. (laughs) They're at the dinner table. So what we've done is we're starting to imprint that amount of scent or that visual um, 
picture of that's where I need to stop. And then it gets worse from there. Mm-hmm. So, so, so to just clarify there, that once the dog is in that scent cone and kind of like turns their head and just kind of slightly acknowledges, and this is a first day, second day, third day dog. Yeah. We do stop him with the check cord. Okay. There, there's no doubt about that. All right. But it's light. It's not like we're yanking him back or holding yeah, him back. Yeah, it's just, it's like, it's that that pop, that little cue, you don't want to pop them off the bird. What you're doing is you kind of set the dog. You're, you're, you're not, you're not pulling, you're not getting the, uh, the check cord tight and then doing what a lot of people do and reel all the way into where you can grab the collar. You're, you're just popping it. The same thing, the cue on the neck, like you've already established at the chain gang, like you've already established doing the quartering in the uh, field with the check cord. You're establishing that neck cue to where, Boom, there it is. And the pressure's on and off immediately. Right. Well, and then even with the recall, so what does that pop mean to the dog? It means mm-hmm. to stop. Yep. So it doesn't mean anything really about the bird or anything. We've taught it on the on our little obstacle course. We taught it on the chain gang and through those three actions, right? So as the dog comes across, and this is part of reading your dog, his head might cock up. He might turn his head a little bit. His tail might do something weird, but he doesn't know why he's doing it. He's triggering an instinct that he doesn't understand yet. Yeah. You have to be able to read that. And you just kind of pop and you let it, you give the um, rope a little um, laxity and you allow the dog to stand there on its own. As soon as you apply pressure, the dog is going to, move in on the bird. That is the biggest mistake of people. You have to let the dog learn to stand there. If he goes to move again, it's just that little pop and you slowly get up to your dog. And that's where we kneel down next to our dog Okay. and allow them to take in that scent and understand as that bird flushes off what that is all about. So clar- clarification, because I, I'm trying to put myself in the, in the listeners and coming up with the questions that somebody listening might have. You're not doing, like I just described, the average person that I've seen with the check cord, they pull it tight and then they kind of reel in the dog. It's like they're climbing the rope to the dog to get right. to them. You hit them with the pop, the cue, and then you're walking towards the dog with the rope slack. You're not you're not reeling it in and then you get to the dog and you kneel down and you get a hold of the dog. How are you holding the dog? Is it by the collar with the neck pressure? It's not slack. Remember, you've got to be, it's got to be, yeah. Yeah. To where where you could give another pop if you had to. Gotcha. Because if it's laying on the ground. You have no control. Yeah. You're, Okay. It's too late. So what, what happens is if you, if you kind of put this in your mind and watch your dog, the dog's going along. He's got his, his head pretty much down on the ground. He's scenting, scenting, scenting. All of a sudden, he caught scent. Well, instead of letting him roll in with his nose on the ground, and you give that little pop that raises his head up and gives him that opportunity to just stand. Yeah. And then you kind of walk in on the on the checkboard, but not holding the dog back necessarily. You get right up to the checkboard, you kneel around him, and then you place your hand underneath the abdomen of the dog. Okay. That, 
And again, that's going. This is going back to another segment, which would be the the wall post leading into developing the, another point of contact. Right. Um, but what you got your hand on the knot of the check cord by his collar, his neck collar, and you got your under, other hand underneath the, his abdomen, her abdomen, with as least amount of pressure as needed. All you're doing is you're initially starting to develop that point of contact. That's okay. all you're doing. And so not holding the dog back or anything like that. And so you have a hold of the dog. What what else is going on? Because we, we walked into a bird scent. Is this something that you have to do with a helper? Because I'm assuming somebody has to go flush the bird now, right? I mean you, you can use traps. Okay. We've done that. As you can use the launchers or whatever you want to, as long as the pups are exposed to it. Yeah. You know, and remember, does the age of the dog here is kind of irrelevant. You know, whether we're starting a puppy or a, or a year-old dog, we're starting. It's a start. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not necessarily just because a dog's a year old. You don't start in the middle. You still start got to start at the beginning. So um, you, we can use launchers if you're by yourself. You know, you can use a string, whatever you got to do to flip that bird up to get it to fly off. And pigeons are obviously the best because they fly away. Yeah. Um, if you can get homing pigeons, that's fantastic. If you can't, well, then a two-dollar pigeon. You know, up here we get them from the Amish. You know, yep. <laughs> dollar pigeon. They go and then they fly back to their barn and they sell them for two dollars again. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, the Amish down here have them. Mexican flea markets. They have them all well, over the place. You know, yeah, whatever you got to do, but you're gonna need birds. You definitely need birds. Yep. You gotta have birds to build a bird. So, um, so what you else? Have a lot, but you can do it. All right, so all right, so that that's obviously the introductory to the to the point, Martha. You you mentioned six to nine birds, or you know somewhere in there, the dogs starting to establish point. Are you waiting for that dog to stop on its own and start establishing point? Is that then the sign that you need to transition into woe training? Is that when you're moving into the next segment, or are you trying to do? What at what point in the field are you hitting to where you're like okay now it's time to move on to the woe training? Well, we do we do them in conjunction. So our chain gang is part of their workout. Mm-hmm. Um, the exposure to birds is part of their workout, and then we are doing the woe post at the same time. So you're not you're not doing this step by step. By step, you're, you, there's a couple things that you can overlap at the same time. Well, it's important to understand this. That it's really not overlapping. It really is step by step by step because what we're doing with, with establishing these these bird contacts, we typically do three to four bird contacts in the field, depending on how many dogs we're running at once. Um, we need to build desire. Mm-hmm. See, if you just did wool post from day one, that's some stress on a dog, just kind of like force fetch or whatever. Yeah. Well, if you have no desire built and you're simply putting stress on the dog and it has no relationship to whatever, what's going on, the dog will start to lay down or what we call bounce uh, and, and they'll resent the training. But if you build desire by having these birds out there, the dog wants to go to the tall grass. It's always in the tall grass. The dog wants to go to the tall grass. And they're gonna they're they're excited to go out there and find their birds. So we do that workout and then we go back and wool post. But what are they really thinking about? They're thinking about that bird contact. Yeah. They they're they're thinking about that bird. Okay, I gotta stand still, but they're really thinking about that bird contact. And then we put them back on the chain gang and they chill out for a while. But what are they thinking about? They're thinking about that bird contact. And then when we put them back up in, in the kennel at the end of the day, water them down and maybe even 
get some chow into them, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about that bird coming. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're putting them up thinking about birds. Yep. And, and so we've we've created desire higher than the stress of the training. So quick, quick question that I should have asked while we we're in the, in the environment when I was talking about, you know, does somebody go flush the bird? Are you letting the dog chase after that? Yes. Yeah. So, but we control that. So we're starting steadiness expectations from the beginning. So, and again, it depends on how driven or how much desire that dog does or exposure to birds. So once that bird's flushed up, We'll apply pressure with our one hand that's on the abdomen where that point of contact will be from the woe post where the e-collar would eventually end up being as the constant pressure. So we will lift up a little bit, stabilize the dog until they're a little bit calm. And then as that bird flushes out, we're throwing a dead bird at the same time. So we're holding... We're cueing to go forward so the dog doesn't leave until it's cued. Where does that start? Back on the chain gang. Yeah. And we cue it to go for the retrieve. And some dogs won't retrieve because they're puppies, you know, but they're going out. So we're creating a drive forward versus um, wanting to sit down or being back on their bird or pulling them off birds. Everything's forward. And then a lot of times you can develop a natural retrieve through that process. Okay. And that will, that will make your life so much easier because now your whole training, your, if you're going to do force fetch, which we believe that you need to do force fetch with these dogs, just so that they will do it regardless. Mm -hmm. um, all that goes so much simpler. You know, um, you, you, you made a comment earlier about, you know, the dog's so close to you because it's on a 20-foot check cord. If we get a dog in that's sticky, call them sticky, they're real close to it, don't want to get out there, mm -hmm. first thing we do is put that dog on a check cord and start check cording that dog into birds. Well, once it realizes there's birds out there, now we're on a check cord that's taut, not tight, and that dog wants to go. Yeah. So when we take the check cord off the dog, dog is going to naturally hunt at a pretty good distance. Yeah. You know, and we control that obviously with the e-collar. Um, and once the dog knows all the cues, where does he learn the cues? On the check cord. So this yeah. all comes together. It's all the same thing. We're just developing the points of contact that later on all we have to do is touch. We can touch that mechanically, verbally, or, or electronically. Yep. It so very, very simple. So I, I know we have we have a ton to still cover, right? We we have the low post that we haven't even touched. I mean, there's there's a million ways to go on this, but I want to before we wrap this up because we're definitely going to have you guys back on to talk on low post and and the rest of your system and 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 all that. I want your honest opinion because I'm listening to this. I'm fascinated. I, I was fascinated in person when we we're going through this. Would you say? As many years of y'all as y'all have been doing this, this is called the Gun Dog It Yourself podcast. Do you feel like that the average person, first dog in, this isn't too much nuance and having to know the dog's behaviors and seeing an, enough actions from their dog? Is this easily adjusted to the person that's got their first dog and training their first dog? Because there's a lot of stuff like you're just talking about as far as you know this cue, that cue. 
Would you say that this is something that a first-time handler can handle as well as other methods? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I think actually, I think the other methods are more uh, are um, not think, as step by step. Yeah, they're all over the map, and yeah. it really is based on just two cues. Yeah, either yeah, yeah, a, a yeah, pop only, or constant pressure. Yeah, there's only two net. cues yep. on the net. Yep. I mean, it, it, you know, we went over a lot of stuff, but but there's, it's really only two cues. The biggest problem with what we've just described, you call it the Smith system. Um, and it is, I mean, we learned this from Rick Smith. There's no question about it. Delmer Smith developed it. Yeah. You know, um, but, but it's been modified and, and adjusted because we no longer train hunting dogs, by the way. We train pets that go hunting. I can see your dog in the chair over there. Oh, yeah. yeah well. <laughs> oh, she left. Oh, <laughs> um, but, but the point is, 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 this is incredibly simple and people have this unbelievable desire to make things complicated. Yes. And that, there's where it gets tough. And that's where I wanted to go with it because essentially what we're talking about since we started this from the chain gang on up into bird contacts and eventually into the Wopos is we're talking about neck pressure right now. And you just said the that's Wopos it. is going to establish another point of con- contact, but right now, between the chain gang and the check cord, it's neck pressure and getting the dog to understand the cues and the pressure on pressure off. But I think there, there's a lot to, as a first time handler, you know, when I first got into this, this is, you know, this is where I would show up to a training day and you'd have this person over here telling me how to use a check cord wrong over here. And a person over here telling me, you know, how to handle this situation different. There's a lot to it, but what I really appreciated is, everything you talk about builds off of from day one on the chain gang is that neck pressure. And I can see the connection, but I'm hoping that first time handlers can also see the connection and the benefits of it. Right. Well, the first time handlers or dog owners, most of them don't have access to um, a lot of equipment, um, a lot of, um, you know, maybe their acreage is smaller or they're in the, you know, suburbs, you know, um, all this can be done like literally on, on such a small area where you go to the ball field or wherever. And and cost. I mean, everything, uh, you know, between the wall post, the check cord, command lead and the chain gang is less cost than it would cost you to, to to build one wall, wall table. Yeah. And we haven't even, you know, we haven't talked about that kind of stuff yet. You know, woe tables and all that kind of, that's great. Um, but how are you using it? You know, and again, it, it lends itself to controlling behavior versus creating behavior. Exactly. We want to create behavior so it's a learned, willing response to a cue. Exactly. So we pretty much hit as far as I think we we need to go tonight because we're going to have you back on in the right time to to talk about woe posts and continuing on on your methods and all that. Before I let you go, where can people find you? Where can they get a hold of you? Ask questions, ask for advice, so on and so forth. Do you have any events coming up that people should be aware Any, about? Anybody can call us anytime. Uh, Webfoot Outdoors uh, is our website. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Um, my, our phone number, my phone number is on the, the website. And I believe it's on, 
I believe it's everywhere. <laughs> but it's definitely on uh, the website. You can email us through the website. Uh, Mark at Webfoot Outdoors is my email. Uh, please call me. Please. Because, I, I mean, that's what we do. We don't, we don't do this because, you know, yeah, this is a business for us, but we're not, we're not in this, you know, to make a, make a killing. We're in this to help people with their gun dogs. And there's nothing, nothing that's more exciting than to go out there and, you know, have a guy or a gal with their, their first dog and that dog goes out point and their smile is from ear to ear and they are hooked. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Next thing is we're buying shotguns. <laughs> shotguns, trucks, hunting trips, everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, truck. We're going to Alaska for ptarmigan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Also, having an event in July, uh, it's a foundation seminar. Which is uh, and that's on the website. Yeah, too. we host uh, Rick Smith here, and it's a Friday night meet and greet, and a Saturday Sunday training, and uh, it's it's eye opening. It really is. Absolutely. Well, thanks for making time. I know we're going to do this again. You guys really kind of opened my eyes up to a lot of different methods that you know you can read this stuff all you want. You can listen to it on podcasts all you want until you see some of this stuff in person then it really starts connecting the dots for you and and like i told you you know it's one of those things i like i like knowing as many methods as i possibly can and taking what i think works for me and my dogs and kind of combining it into one method and so i think there's a lot of stuff to learn from you guys's methods and uh you know again thanks for making time and sharing it with us and we're definitely gonna do this again soon thanks for having us thank you Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.